Hello, my name is Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes, and if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups, and you can follow me there too, at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, I'll be discussing e-cigarettes and their place in smoking cessation. Now, the facts about tobacco are well known, but I think it's worth revisiting a few of them. The global tobacco epidemic is one of the biggest public health threats the world has ever faced, killing more than 8 million people a year, including around 1.2 million deaths from exposure to second-hand smoke. All forms of tobacco are harmful, and there is no safe level of exposure to, to tobacco, with cigarette smoking being the commonest form of tobacco use worldwide. It's the single greatest cause of preventable death and ill health in the United Kingdom, with over 80,000 smokers at least dying from the habit every year here. One in two smokers will die from a smoking-related illness, and for every death caused by smoking, 20 smokers are suffering from a smoking-related disease. Between now and 2030, tobacco will kill around 150 million people globally. And every six seconds around the world, one person loses their life to tobacco. Every cigarette smoked takes around 11 minutes off a smoker's life, so very roughly, smoking 20 cigarettes a day for a week loses around a day of life. Now, as doctors, we all know what we should be doing to help our smokers quit. But for those of us who have an interest in this area, we're currently keenly waiting for the UK Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, the MHRA to you and me, to publish updated guidance to allow medicinally licensed e-cigarette products to be prescribed for tobacco smokers who wish to quit smoking. Now, should e-cigarettes become prescribable on the NHS in England to help people quit tobacco products, I personally believe this should be welcome news to both health professionals and smokers alike. If this goes forward, it could mean England becomes the first country in the world to prescribe e-cigarettes as a medical product. So, we await events. Now, although viewed as a modern invention, the idea actually dates back to 1927, when a certain Joseph Robinson filed a patent in New York for an electrical vaporizer that would allow for a compound to be vaporized into a mouthpiece. This was probably for medicinal purposes, but it went nowhere and was then forgotten about in the mists of time. In the 1980s and 1990s, Various patents for nicotine-based inhaling devices were lodged, but the first e-cigarette went on sale in China in 2004, and there have been at least half a dozen evolving generations of devices since then, with many different types of e-cigarette now being available. 
However, all of them, whatever their appearance, have three key elements. A battery that may be rechargeable, that heats up an atomizer or a coil, which then vaporizes an e-liquid or juice into vapor that is then inhaled. There are two main e-cigarette systems in use across the globe, open and closed. Open systems allow a user to customize their system with different parts and liquids, whereas with a closed system, which is by far the simpler type, disposable cartridges of e-liquid are used and then discarded. The most popular products remain tank systems, with 77% of vapors reporting using them, and around 18% of vapors reporting uses using cartridge or pod systems. Now, for most users, the e-liquid is the key to their satisfaction rating of whatever system they choose to use. And there are four key components in these. Glycerine, propylene glycol, nicotine, although some preparations can actually be nicotine-free, and flavoring. The vegetable glycerine, VG, provides the vapor, and the thinner propylene glycol, PG, carries the flavor. And this VG to PG ratio determines the amount of vaping cloud that's produced as well as the flavor intensity. So a higher vegetable glycerine score gives more cloud but less flavor, and a higher propylene glycol score gives less cloud but a bigger hit and often more flavor. And many hardened smokers that I talk to using e-cigarettes try, try to reproduce the throat hit they feel when dragging hard on a conventional cigarette by increasing the level of propylene glycol in their device. Now, when vaping devices first appeared, the term e-cigarette was appropriate since the vast majority had the appearance of a cigarette. But with such a wide range of products now available, the term is starting to become somewhat obsolete. However, there's no currently agreed consensus as to a common terminology, and so e-cigarette remains the simple nomenclature of choice for the moment, although vaping is also now a very popular term. These are now the most popular aid used by smokers trying to quit their tobacco habit. And this has been driven by consumer choice rather than any kind of concerted public health campaign. The number of e-cigarette users grew from around 700,000 in 2012 to 3.6 million in 2019, falling to 3.2 million in 2020, before increasing again in 2021 to around 3.6 million. Disposable e-cigarettes are now the most used product amongst current vapors, up more than sevenfold from 7% 7 in 2020 and 8% in 2021 to a significant 52% in 2022. Now, NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, have said that licensed nicotine-containing products are an effective way of reducing the harm from tobacco for both the person smoking and those around them. And there is reason to believe that lifetime use of such licensed products will be considerably less harmful than smoking. Now, e-cigarettes are most certainly not risk-free. But the crucial point here and one that's often forgotten, 
is that they carry a fraction of the risk of conventional cigarettes, whose main harm comes not from the nicotine they contain, but from the toxins and carcinogens found in tobacco smoke. It's often said, incidentally, that nicotine keeps our smokers hooked, but tobacco smoke kills them. Now, this is likely to be a key point in driving the planned MRHA decision, and the balance of risk should not preclude a smoker from looking to use a nicotine-containing smokeless product. A landmark paper in 2017, funded by Cancer Research UK, demonstrated that in long-term e-cigarette users, by which I mean those who'd been using the product for at least six months, many toxicants present in smokers' urines were significantly lower in e-cigarette users. And this included metabolites of the lung carcinogen, NNK, and a number of volatile organic compounds. Now, this was only the case for those who switched entirely to e-cigarettes from tobacco. Levels in e-cigarette users were also comparable to those who were exclusively using other nicotine replacement therapies. Unfortunately, public perception on e-cigarettes is often incorrect, with many people believing these are as harmful or even more harmful than traditional cigarettes. Now, we don't know whether people currently vaping will experience significant health problems or not as a result in the coming decades, and that's an important point here. But we do know with absolute certainty is that if they are inhaling tobacco smoke instead of nicotine, they definitely will. Many ingredients found in vaping products have been shown to be safe when given orally, but of course absorption and metabolism mechanisms differ when inhaled and some inhaled molecules can have adverse local effects when in contact with the mucosa of the respiratory tract, and heating some of these can result in them breaking down to potentially more toxic vapours. And other factors can be concerning too, such as propylene glycol precipitating asthma attacks in susceptible people, and some flavourings being toxic to human cells in laboratory tests. The amount of exposure to metals in e-cigarette aerosols depends on the type of vaping device used as well, and the potential adverse clinical effects of these remain unknown. Now, you may have seen much in the popular press recently about the rise of vaping in adolescents, with current vaping amongst children aged 11 to 17 up from 4% in 2020 to 7% this year. The proportion of children who admit ever having tried vaping has also risen from 14% to 20, in 2020 to 16% this year. And this increase in vaping shown by this survey is a cause for concern and needs close monitoring, but social media does appear to be the driver here, with TikTok being the most frequently cited source of online promotion, followed by Instagram. The very brightly coloured disposable vapes that have surged in popularity over the last year have sweet flavours such as bubblegum, raspberry and strawberry, with seemingly harmless sweet names and are widely available for less than £5 each. Despite it being illegal to sell vapes to under-18s, the most common source of supply for underage vapours continues to be shops rather than online. And this is proving to be an increasingly challenging situation because of government funding cuts for local authorities, which has meant spending on trading standards has halved over the last decade or so. 
Unlicensed black market vaping products are also widely available to the retail sector and members of the public and are typically disposable products above 20 milligrams, have a capacity exceeding 2 mils, or have an incorrect health warning or no warning at all. Now, regarding nicotine, fatal nicotine poisoning is actually extremely rare. Nicotine delivery via e-cigarettes actually poses little danger to adults. As with NRT, if people have more nicotine than they're used to, they might feel a little nauseous or lightheaded, both of which will pass quickly. And if this happens, the person needs to reduce the level of nicotine in the e-liquid they're buying or use their e-cigarette less often. The toxicants in second-hand tobacco smoke are responsible for thousands of deaths every year. But e-cigarettes don't use combustion and there's no side-stream vapour, in other words, the smoke from the lighted end of the cigarette. So the only source of second-hand vapour is that exhaled by the user. Now, the evidence to date that's accumulated so far does suggest toxicants may be present, but at much lower levels in second-hand e-cigarette vapour than second-hand cigarette smoke. And there's no convincing evidence of harm to bystanders so far. The impact of tobacco on smokers does remain depressingly familiar. But smoking also damages the economy and increases pressure on the NHS and social care system. Recent figures show that smoking in England costs around £12.5 billion annually, including £2.4 billion to the NHS in treatment costs for health problems caused by smoking and £9 billion of lost productivity caused by early deaths, absenteeism and smoking breaks at work. The current NICE advice is that we should tell people who smoke that a range of interventions is available to help them stop smoking. We should explain to them how to access them and refer people to stop smoking support if appropriate and, of course, if available. We should also ensure that adults who smoke have access to this full range, and this includes behavioural interventions, such as behavioural support, both individual and group, and don't forget very brief advice. Medicinally licensed products include bupropion, varenicline, and nicotine replacement treatment, both short and long-acting types. And don't forget that combination NRT is preferable in helping our smokers quit. Also, nicotine-containing e-cigarettes are in current NICE advice here. Now, some people do believe that e-cigarettes shouldn't be available on prescription and that smokers should pay for these themselves or that increasing tobacco taxes will gradually reduce the number of smokers over time. Although tax increases have been shown to be effective in reducing smoking prevalence and are the only tobacco control intervention proven to reduce inequalities, such increases are often undermined by the tobacco industry tactics of using smaller, more frequent price increases after a tax rise rather than a sudden jump. Poorer and disadvantaged smokers who don't quit also bear a disproportionate share of the burden of disease caused by tobacco. Should medically licensed e-cigarettes become available on prescription, these will have to have passed even more rigorous safety checks than those currently available commercially but achieving the ambition of a smoke-free England by 2030 is an essential component of the government's tobacco harm prevention strategy. 
and previous health secretaries have publicly stated that e-cigarettes can be an important tool in reducing smoking rates. The best smoker is unequivocally a quit smoker, free from all tobacco or nicotine-containing products. If this isn't possible, either because a smoker chooses not to quit or finds it impossible to do so, then e-cigarettes are now at the front line in helping to reduce both the economic and health costs caused by smoking. So, that's an overview of electronic cigarettes in 2022, and I do hope you found this podcast helpful and interesting. Do please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com, and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Thank you for listening. And until the next time, goodbye.